0: This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. How's everyone? Uh, it's very warm here. <laughs> um, so uh, let me start. I would like to with um, I want to start out by saying how uh, pleasantly surprised I was to see how awesome your trees are, (laughs) Um, honestly, like, I know you guys probably don't notice, when you live in a place, it's easy to just not really notice, but you have really, really beautiful trees, Um, and I've missed them because I live now in California, where I'm missing my trees. Um, I used to be in North Carolina, I don't know if anyone's been to the East Coast, or um, especially like the Virginia and North Carolina area, it's just amazing, but anyway, you guys remind me of that, Um, so... Alhamdulillah, I'm very blessed to be here, and your community seems really very, um, very welcoming. alhamdulillah. So it's an honor to be with you today, and especially, especially uh, because it's such, a, uh, it, it's such a, it's such a, such a blessed time. I mean, this is the most blessed time of the year. Not only is it Ramadan, but we're in the last ten days. Uh, we're we're in, Know, getting the odd last night was an odd right. night so alhamdulillah i feel very uh, blessed to be with you just so you guys know there i i did very very little travel in um, this ramadan so this was one of the very few exceptions that i made um so alhamdulillah waffa somehow convinced us <laughs> to make that <laughs> so you guys can all thank her um but here we are um the title for this talk is how to return back to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, it's extremely important for us to understand this idea of returning to Allah. Um, when I tell you, when I when I mention the, uh, a word that many of you have heard before, that word is tawbah. What what comes to your mind, or how would you translate the word tawbah just off the top of your head? You guys can just yell it out. Repentance, asking Allah for forgiveness. Okay. This is all true, but if you actually look at the literal meaning of the word tawbah, it means to return. It means to return. So yatub, someone who who is um, is 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 doing tawbah, basically yatub means to return. So a person who is um, returning to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So if you were to sort of imagine it, if you have a picture in your mind, it'd be like a person who is running but away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. See, all of us are in a state of movement. At, any, at every moment, we're all moving. We're all traveling, okay? Nobody actually stands still. You know life doesn't stand still, right? Uh, time doesn't stand still. Uh, our, our, our development, we're always, every single moment, getting a day older, or rather, a moment older, and every day getting a, a day older. Time doesn't stop. And so we're always moving, but the question becomes, in what direction are we moving? Make sense? There's always a state of movement. So, Tawbah means that you are moving, but, you're, but you are moving in the, a different direction. You're moving away from Allah, and what you do is, you pause, you stop, and you make a U-turn, okay? That U-turn, you know when you're driving on the highway, and your GPS tells you, you're going the wrong, well, it doesn't say you're going the wrong way, but it says rerouting, and it tells you that you need to make a legal U-turn. yeah. And the reason that it's telling you to make a U-turn is why? Because you're moving away from your destination. Everyone know that, right? I'm trying to get to a certain place and I'm moving away from that destination. So my GPS, my, my in this case, my guidance is my GPS, right? It's telling me that I have to make a U-turn. If I continue to go in that direction, away from my destination, I'm just getting further and further away. And so, Tawbah literally is that U-turn. It's that coming back. And it's coming back to the direction that we're supposed to be moving, which is towards and closer to Allah, not away. Now, how often should we do Tawbah? Like, is this something that we just... I mean, how often in our lives do we need to make these this, this U-turn? What do you guys think? think All the time, right? Uh, sometimes people think... Uh, some, so sometimes people think that uh, Tawbah is something you do once in your life, right? You uh, one, t- you know, you used to live a life of clubbing and uh, drinking or whatever sin. Maybe you weren't, um, maybe you weren't even Muslim, right? You lived a life where you were not running towards Allah, and you thought, okay, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to make this massive U-turn now, right? But then that's it. I've made the U-turn once, I'm done, I've come back to Allah once, and now I'm good to go, right? Now the problem with that is like a person who's driving and they only check their GPS once, right? So you're driving and everything's okay. Maybe, maybe, or maybe you found out, okay, I'm going the wrong way, my GPS says turn around and I come back, but then I never recheck. What's going to happen? If you never recheck the map or never recheck the directions or never recheck the GPS, is that... You're gonna go off track again. See, it's a constant renewal. It's a constant returning. That's what we have to realize: is is not something we do once. Tawbah is something we have to consistently be doing. Think of it like this: it's, uh, it's a, one one chef explained it as a reorientation. So what does that mean? It's 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 in a sense it's the checking of my uh, my compass or my GPS and saying, okay, I'm off track, let me come back. So practically, what does that mean? It means that we all get distracted, yeah? It means that we all sometimes get off track. Life, in fact, the world we live in is full of distractions. Full of distractions. Um, I'll give you just a practical example. Social media, okay? Social media is one of these tools. I'll call social media a tool. It's just simply a tool. It's not. Inherently evil, and it's not inherently good. It is a tool which you can say is neutral, depending on how you use it. You follow? So you have Instagram. Instagram can be uh, a place where I get extremely distracted. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just leave. I'll, I'll, I'll. That's like the best I can say about it. Right? It's something that where I can become very, very distracted, or it can be something that helps bring me back or remind me of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like Facebook, just like Twitter, just like any kind of social media, it's something that can either be some uh, a tool that takes me away from Allah, or it can be a tool that brings me closer to Allah. And everything in life is is that way, that it can be used in either way. And we decide how we use these tools. Now I bring up things like social media because the reality is these are the practical Things that we're doing, you know what I mean? I can sit here and I can talk to you about concepts. I can say, return to Allah, come back to Allah, but then it becomes difficult. How do I translate that into my everyday life, okay? I'm going to use one example, and that's the example of what it is that we focus on when it comes to, for example, social media, all right? Um, one thing I really emphasize a lot in, a, in, my, in my talks is something that is a psychological principle which is very, very important for us to understand. And that is, whatever I focus on most becomes bigger. Okay, It becomes more uh, encompassing. In a sense, the more I focus on something, the more I feed it. Does that make sense? Um, in other words, what I focus on grows. What I focus on grows. That might seem conceptually, that's weird. What I mean is, think of it as you have a pet. Yeah, and every time you focus on this pet, it's like feeding it. So imagine that eventually this this creature becomes a monster the more you feed it. Okay. Now, depending on what that focus is, you've now you may have a big problem because if that focus is wrong, then it actually becomes bigger and bigger the more I focus on it. Is everyone following so far? Okay. So now going back to the example of Instagram. I'm just going to use one simple example. What I follow on social media becomes what I'm focused on in a sense, all right? Now, assume that my social media, my Instagram for example, the things that I'm following on Instagram are only and right now I'm not talking about haram and halal. I'm not I'm not a faqiha, I'm not up here to talk about this. I'm talking right now about just psychology, okay? Imagine that the only thing that I'm I'm following or what I'm focused on 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 Instagram is all like the Kardashians and uh, what this person is wearing and this fashionista and that fashionista. And that's fine. Again, I'm not talking about haram and halal. I'm talking about psychology. So assume that my entire Instagram is all different kinds of clothes, different kinds of scarves, how to put on those clothes and those scarves, all the different uh, makeup tutorials. Gotta, gotta, Gotta have those, right? Lots and lots of those. Um, and then different celebrities, what they're eating, yeah? What they're wearing, how they're standing. You get what I'm saying? And that's it. And that's it, right? So my entire feed, my entire, you know, Instagram news feed, whatever you want to call it, is just um, hijabs, makeup tutorials, um, what the Kardashians are doing, um, what, what Kim is wearing, how she did her makeup, whatever it is. I don't even know. Um j whatever it is we're following, okay? And that's it. Guess what happens? I'm telling you from a psychological perspective. This becomes our primary focus in not just when I'm on Instagram, in my life. get it? So it isn't just what I'm following for that five minutes and then after five minutes and then however many times I'm going on and I'm, I'm looking at this, but it actually affects my focus for the rest of my day, does that make sense? It will affect my focus for the rest, even in the rest of my life. And so now, what is what becomes a priority is is different. It changes based on what I focus on. Okay. Another way to kind of um, get this point across is think about uh, think about it in terms of food. Okay. We know as human beings. That whatever I, when I, every time I eat something, it's, it's affecting my body, right? So say if I'm eating healthy food, I'm becoming, guys, you are what you eat, right? You're becoming healthier, right? If I'm eating poisonous food, if I'm constantly ingesting poison, like, it's not enough to kill me right away, but it's eating away at my body. By the way, there's a lot of stuff out there that's doing that food-wise. We know this, right? It's cancerous. You know what I'm saying? So, imagine that my entire diet is these things that are eating away at my body, little by little. Not all at once, but little by little. I'm ingesting toxins all the time. What's going to eventually over time happen inside my body? I'll become sick, yeah? And then I'm going to become weaker physically. Is everyone following The same thing happens spiritually and psychologically. That when, whatever I am taking in through my eyes, see, we have to understand that everything that's coming through our eyes, everything that's coming through our ears, everything we listen to, everything we see, and everything we talk about, everything comes out of our mouth, is all input. It's actually, it's all like food that we're ingesting. But it's not going to our stomach; it's going to our heart. Makes sense. So what's happening is, I may be ta- I'm taking in this stuff daily, 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 right? And now, for a moment, put aside. Now, I'm just for a second, put aside the blatantly haram, indecent things. Yeah. Right now, that's obvious. I don't. You don't need me to tell you that that's a sin, or that's haram, or that's harmful. Yeah. Obviously, if you're looking at anything haram anything indecent, that that's clear like, that's clear cyanide. That's clear poison. It's, that's going into your heart. It's coming through your eyes, but it's going to your heart. Okay? Put that aside for a second. Put aside the blatantly haram uh, things we listen to. Right? Blatantly, like, like, poisonous types of lyrics, for example. Okay? Put that aside. That's, again, clear, like, open cyanide we're taking in poison right through our ears but it's going to our hearts follow i'm going to put that aside for a moment okay that's just that'll that's just clear but i want to take for a moment this middle ground this sort of gray sort of what would seem like harmless so what i'm just i'm just following all these fashion people or i'm just following a uh, a tutorial or i'm you know what i'm saying these types of things They're not blatantly haram or halal. It's not about haram and halal. But the problem is what's my ultimate (coughs) focal point, right? Because what's happening is if my ultimate focal point is fashion, just fashion, even that alone, then all of a sudden, I'll tell you what's going to happen psychologically, is that there becomes a shift in my own psyche, in my own heart, and in my own mind of what matters most. And the more that I focus on what people are wearing and what people, how people are looking like and what people, you know what I'm saying? Basically, appearance, the more that becomes important to me. And now I have a shift and this is what is feeding our obsession with appearances. This is an obsession that we have today, right now. Do you know why this obsession is growing with appearances? It's because our focal point with Social media, what we're looking at, what we're talking about, what we're reading is all so much focused on looks, so much focused on what you're wearing, on what you look like. Um, you know, it's like everything has a filter. You know what I'm saying? And so the idea is that now this isn't. You might be like, okay, but it's, just, it's just, it's just a, it's just an app. You know what I mean? But I'm talking about it from a psychological perspective. That now this becomes a shift in me psychologically. That now there's literally an obsession with how I appear. How do I look? Because you know what? Now I can't put on a, a, a filter in life, so I try to put on, I try to put on other kinds of filters, right? And it's this idea that I have to appear a certain way, and it becomes an obsession with appearing according to a certain standard, right? And of course, that standard keeps changing, and it, it, it differs based on which culture you're in. So, in some cultures, it's an obsession with skin color, an obsession with how fair are you, how 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 much you know pigment is in your skin, and how fair. And this obsession with with pigmentation, with the the, the shade of your skin, is so serious that it will determine you know who marries who. It will determine who marries who. And it's just based on how fair the person is. And that's it. And that's it. Which which daughter is more fair? She's going to get more proposals. Can we be honest? Yeah, we can be honest, yeah? Which which of the sisters are more fair? She's going to be more marriageable. That's just the reality, okay, in some cultures. Which, which one is, and, and it's like, so skin color, yeah? In some, it's going to be an obsession on um, the body type. Yeah? we live in a culture here in the west which is an obsession with how thin you are right? your your size okay and each culture has its own different kinds of obsession but the problem with this and, and you might be like oh but I don't want to fall into that but the problem is that when that becomes your focal point with for example something as innocent as your social media and you might you might not realize it Right. Well, I'm not. I'm not that way, or I don't want to be that way. I don't think that way. But the problem is, you are making yourself think that way because you're because of what you're ingesting every single day. You're ingesting a culture which is just obsessed with looks, obsessed with what you're wearing, obsessed with what you're what you're looking like. You know what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And it, and it, and it isn't because I'm I'm up here to say it's haram to follow fashionistas you know like all these different f- but i'm talking about when that's it when that's all you're doing and that's all you're being bombarded with it does shift your focus and now all of a sudden what matters most isn't your character it's not people aren't looking at that anymore people don't don't make that important anymore what matters is simply and the reason i'm emphasizing this so much is i'm talking to a group of women yeah And the reality is, and I've seen this so much, the reality is at the end of the day what matters is how you look. And that cannot be argued. It's just at the end of, you peel apart everything else and at the end of the day it's how you look. And this is across the board. And I believe that this sickness, this sickness is because of what we are ingesting every single day. It's because of the media that we're taking in, it's because of what we have on our social media, it's that we are now making this aspect so big because it's what we focused on, yeah? It's all we look at, it's all we talk about, it's all that comes on our newsfeed, etc. So that's just one example is you have Instagram. And then Facebook, it's very similar as well. Of course, there's a selfie for everything, but there's also um, this, this uh obsession with needing to appear perfect. Needing y- yourself to appear perfect, needing your family to appear perfect, your life to appear perfect. It's like people will put on this, this show on social media that I'm perfect. My child is perfect. My husband is perfect. My, my spouse is perfect. My, you know what I mean? We're perfect. And then we put that out there on social media because we feel like that's gonna get, that's gonna make us feel better about ourselves. Now that's a big farce, really, it's, it's fake, it's fake. No one's perfect, and no one's life is perfect, and no one's kid is perfect, and no one's skin is perfect, even though the filters make it look like that, yeah? Um, but we, we somehow have, have missed the, we've, we've as <laughs> the British say, um, lost the plot, okay? That we've, we've missed the actual focus, the actual destination. And what does this have to do with coming back to Allah? What this has to do with coming back to Allah is that this is the, the direction that we're running to. And it has nothing to do with Allah. We are focused on the wrong things. We are focused on how we look, how we dress, how we appear, how other people view us. This is a big obsession how are other people looking at me how are what is my image in front of other people what are other people going to say this is a big one what are other people going to say if i do this or if i uh, if my child does this what's happened here what's happened is that my focus is no, no longer what does allah going to say right what is allah going to say about this it's what's my friend going to say or my friend's mother or you know what i mean That becomes my focal point. There needs to be a shift. There needs to be a turning, a U-turn, yeah, where we're not focused on these other things, but we turn around and we find our proper focus. How is that going to happen practically? Here's how it's going to happen practically. There is no way that you ingest poison every single day and it doesn't affect you. You can't, you can't, it can't not affect you. It will affect you. So what do you have to change if you want to change the health of your body? Anyone? Change your input. Change what you're eating. Change what you're taking in. And when you shift your input, you shift your inside. Fair enough. It's just simple. If a person wants, a person is unhealthy, if a person comes to the doctor and the doctor finds that this person is very unhealthy and then asks, okay, what's your diet like? And you basically, t- you, you basically tell the doctor, well, I eat a little poison every day, um, and then I have this, and then I have, and it's all poisonous, unhealthy food. What's the first thing the doctor's going to say is, hey, you need to completely change your diet. Yeah? Now, psychologically and spiritually, it's the same thing. You need to change your diet. So what you have to start to do, I know we live in a world that's constantly bombarding us. O-M-G. The media is constantly bombarding us with messages. Even just driving down the road, there's billboards, even just being on your laptop, there's ads, it's constant. On the TV, on the it's everywhere. You have to make a very focused, concerted effort to manage what you're eating. Make sense? Manage what you're taking in. But you have to you have to be conscious. If you just go with the flow, it's you're gonna end up taking in all this poison. You have to make, you have to actually put in effort. Does does everyone understand what I'm saying? You have to put in work to manage what you're taking in. And when you are very, very conscious of what you're taking in, your insights change. They will change. Your focus will change. Your psychology will change. Your whole paradigm changes. What matters most changes. It will change. You will have a shift. But it has to be, it has to start at the root of what you're taking in. The food or the input that you're taking in. Alright? So how do we change that? I'm not up here to tell you to just get off all social media. Right? Obviously, social media, as I said from the beginning, is a tool. It's a tool. But it's all about how you use it. So, going back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making this U-turn, coming back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Tawbah, the return to Allah. How is it going to happen? Number one, the first step, the first step, even before we talk about um, our input and all that, is number one, we cannot fall into despair. One of the biggest barriers to Allah is despair. What's despair? Anyone? Can someone define despair to me?
1: Like hopeless? It's like
0: denying. Denying. Okay, what else? Hopeless. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. And despair is basically giving up. It's saying, what's the point in trying? Sometimes people feel that they're so far away from Allah, let me put that in quotes, yeah? That they're so far away from Allah that that they can't return. It's like, you know, it's like a person who's like trying, who's driving and they're trying to get to one city and they find themselves in a completely other side of the country and they realize they're so far away, but then they say, you know what? There's no point. I just give up because I'm so far. Yeah, people who believe that they're too far away to return to Allah, that's despair, and that is actually a deception. It's a trick. Guess from who? Anyone? Mm-hmm. Shaytan. Exactly. Shaytan wants you to believe that it's too late. You get it? He wants you to believe that you're too far. He wants you to think that Allah's too, you're too far away from Allah or Allah is too far away from you so just give up. don't try the u-turn. That u-turn is pointless, you're too far. you get it But this is actually a deception. This is a deception. This is like a person who's like in your in your uh, passenger seat while you're driving who's whispering to you, you know what? just give up, just forget it. don't even try to go home because you you, you drove too far. Don't even try. Right? It's nonsense. It's nonsense because all you have to do is make a new turn. Right? So this this is the first barrier is the barrier of despair. It's the idea that I'm too far away to come back. Yeah? And so what's the point in trying? That is a trick from Shaitan. You You must fight against that trick, that deception. And realize that if you go back and you see what Allah has said, put aside what Shaitan is saying. Us shaitan lies. We know this, yeah? Allah tells us Shaitan lies. Shaitan's always lying to us. But Allah speaks the truth. Allah and His Messenger speak the truth. And what does Allah and His Messenger say? They teach us that anyone can come back to Allah. Do you know that? Anyone can come back to Allah. And you might say, but what if it's just, I've been just going on this wrong road for my entire life? I am so far. I've done so much anyone can come back to Allah. And at any point, they can come back to Allah. As long as they're still alive. The only closed door comes at death. You understand? And the reality is, no one knows when they're going to die. No one knows. So it isn't something that I can say, well, let me come back to Allah before I die. But I'll put it off. Because how do you know when you're going to? Does anyone have a guarantee? Have you never heard of a person who died unexpectedly? Have you have never heard of someone who died young? Does that not happen? Of course it does. No one has a guarantee. I mean, people go to sleep and don't wake up. Have you heard of it? Am I making it up? People go to sleep and don't wake up. People get in the car and they don't leave the car. You understand? Or they don't leave alive. This is the reality and, and the fragility of life. Life is very fragile. Literally all it takes is a, just a hit to the head, and that's it, yeah? All it takes is a few seconds of deprivation from oxygen. You understand how fragile we are? Don't think, don't don't be deceived thinking that we're the kings of the world, you know what I mean? That we're in, invincible. There is this, this, by the way, one thing I've noticed, there's a lot of superhero movies. You know what I mean? It's like this it's like this sort of fantasy of the human being becoming superhuman. You know what I mean? That somehow we can compensate for our humanism. Somehow it's this its this desire to almost become into semi-gods or like something superhuman. We can't. We can't escape our humanity. The reality is that we are human and we are fragile and we are temporary and we can go at any moment. And And we're actually extremely vulnerable. But we like to think that we're invincible. Some people drive like they're invincible, especially teenagers, right? But the reality is that's actually why they end up doing very foolish things and then they get into, into into accidents that are sometimes deadly. And it's this deception that you're invincible. You're not. Anyone, no one knows when they'll die. Okay? But Allah has said that His door, His door of Tawbah, the door of Tawbah, of return is open for anyone at any time, as long as the person is still alive. But after, at the time of death, then it's too late. And at that point, Allah tells us in many in many different texts that people at the time of death, that's when they're trying to to like bargain, you know, like they want to bargain some more some more time, or they want to bargain, let me go back so I can actually do the good deeds, you know. Do the things that I didn't do. Let me go back so I can pray. Let me go back so I can give charity, right? But you can at that point. It's done. That's when it's done. But let me just tell you something. The trick of shaitan is he wants you to think it's already done. You get it? He wants you to think the door is already closed because you have done so many bad things that for you the door is closed. You're too far away. Don't even bother that U-turn thing. Don't even do that because you're too far away. You might as well just keep on getting lost. Do you understand the, the, the this trick here? Just keep going down the wrong road because it's pointless for you. That's a lie. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's door is always open as long as we are alive. So the first thing is not to allow the trick of despair to keep us from coming back to Allah. Allah didn't put us on this earth to be perfect. You know Allah knows what He's doing, right? Allah knows that human beings are going to make mistakes. In fact, Allah designed the human being that they're going to make mistakes. Allah made angels that don't sin. Then Allah made humans and jinn who are going to sin. And the Prophet ﷺ tells us in a Sahih Hadith that all the children of Adam will make mistakes. And the best of them are who? Is it the ones who never make mistakes? No, the best of them are those who repent. The best of them are those who make that U turn, who aren't foolish enough to keep going down the wrong road out of just thinking it's too late. Okay? But they're the ones who repent. Those are the best. Allah knows that we will make mistakes. So make sure that we do not allow despair to keep us from returning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so that's number one. Is removing that barrier. That it's a false barrier. It's an illusion. It's a hologram. You know what I'm saying? It's it's fake. It's fake. But it's put up by Shaitan to keep us from turning around. Number two. Number two. We have to manage what we're eating. We have to manage our input. We have to guard our hearts because we are what we eat. You feel me? We are what we eat. The heart becomes a like. Uh, a, a result, like it's, it becomes, sort of think of the heart as this vessel, like a giant, like a bowl, okay, and it's going to be filled with whatever you fill it with, okay, and so if I am constantly pouring poison into that vessel, then guess what, I'm going to poison myself, if I'm constantly pouring um, healthy food into that vessel, then I'm going to be healthy. It's a vessel that we decide what we put in there, okay? So managing what we ingest is one way to put it. That's number two. How do we manage it? How do we manage it? Here's how we manage it. Two ways, okay? Um, Eating or ingesting healthy food and avoiding unhealthy or poisonous food. Those are the two parts of managing what we ingest. So the first part, I, mean, I I talked already about a little bit, and that's avoiding the unhealthy, poisonous stuff. And a lot of this is coming through social media, and not just social media, but media in general. All right, um, The things we're watching, whether it's on YouTube, oh my God, the kinds of things that people watch on YouTube is... is I, I don't know what to say, I don't have an adjective... Um, there's this one page I've heard about. It was like on the news or something. And it had so many followers. And you know what they were doing on this page? They were basically abusing their kids. And people were watching it and thought it was, it was interesting. I mean, this is the point of how sick we've become that actually we, we'll get entertainment out of things like this. Okay, they would be like abusing and, 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 and people are watching it. Okay, and this... These people are getting tons and tons of... Guess what? They're getting lots of followers. You know what followers on YouTube mean? Money. They're actually getting paid. They're getting paid from advertisers because they have a lot of viewers. That's how YouTube works. The more viewers you have, the more money you get from advertisers. That's how people get rich off YouTube, in case you didn't know. Okay? And so what's happening is they're getting paid for this, for abusing their kids in front of the people. This is sick. But this is my point, is that we have... And if you look at the kinds of people who are very famous on YouTube... Most of the time, it's not good content, guys. I think you know this better than me. It's actually garbage, but people like to watch garbage. And so the idea is, please be mindful of what you're watching. Don't think you're just passively, it's just passive. You don't passively ingest poison. You know what I'm saying? You're not a passive observer. It's affecting you, and you're contributing to that poison. Every single person who's watching that, channel was contributing and feeding them doing this to their children because they were getting rich off of it. Do you understand? So the idea is be very mindful of what it is. So so don't allow yourself to be ingesting these kinds of poisons. Media. So media like what you're watching not just on YouTube, on TV, on movies. And now I'm going to make another subtle point. This might seem a bit confusing. You might not expect it. Be mindful of what kind of news you're constantly ingesting. That might be weird, right? What's wrong with news? Oh. Um, News. Let me say this. News, yeah? Um, Please understand. I've, I've studied media. News is not unbiased. News have an agenda. You know what an agenda means? It means that there's something that they want you to come out with. Okay? And it does not take a media expert or a genius to know that the news agenda is very, very Islamophobic. What does that mean? It means that their Islam is very much... Uh, you're supposed to basically leave this news thinking that Islam is out to get us as Americans. That Islam is something that is is anti-American. Islam is, is something other... It's like very un-American that those people... You understand? And I'm not even going to get into all the different data on that, but the reality is that there is an agenda. Okay? There is an agenda. Now, you might think, but we're already Muslim, so what's the problem? I mean, how is it going to affect me? It's just intended for maybe non-Muslims to hate Islam, but I'm already Muslim. It will affect you, and I will tell you how. It is intended to make you ashamed of Islam, to make you cower. Do you know what cowering is? To hide. To try to hide your Muslimness. To try to sort of let's loosen the hijab a bit, you know what I'm saying? Let's hide the hijab. Let's just actually take it off. Because I don't want people to know I'm Muslim, maybe. Or maybe I want to be less like visible. So that the if you think that Islamophobia or all of this Islamophobic media is only intended for non Muslims, you're wrong. The primary intent is for Muslims. To make Muslims want to apologize for being Muslim. To make Muslims feel self-hatred and shame. I'm so sorry I'm Muslim. I'm so sorry that I'm part of this group that's so horrible. You get it? And the more that you ingest of this, the more you become that way. The more it starts to affect you. So be mindful of that. Be mindful that it is not innocent. It's not just news. It isn't. It is not innocuous. It's not just... Just, oh, I'm just finding out what happened. No, there is an agenda and there is a very, very clear agenda and there's a bias. And that is something that, if you did an experiment, if you did an experiment and you looked at, um, if, you, if you took someone and you had that person, a Muslim, and you took a non-Muslim and you had that person just uh, ingesting a lot of just news, like I'm just saying just news, plain news. Whether it's Fox or CNN, I don't. Whatever it is, they're all essentially the same. Okay, you're taking in this news, and then you have this person like like spend a certain number of hours just taking in this news, and then measure their psychology and look at how they feel about themselves as Muslims, how they feel about um, about other Muslims, how they how how um, how they feel about their identity. And you're going to see that it will have a very, very strong effect. Put that aside for a second. Think about yourself. Think about times when maybe you started getting really, really into the news. You guys, has that happened? Certain certain things happen and you're just kind of glued to the news. You're, you're watching it a lot. You're reading a lot of stuff. How did you feel after all that? Can someone tell me. Did you feel real great? Did you feel real great? Did you feel pumped? You felt absolutely depressed you felt absolutely more and more into despair more and more hopeless you know what that's it for us you understand the po- you understand my point you know, just look at your own experience and that is because you are taking in something very toxic and you have to be mindful of that okay i know we talk a lot about okay don't watch bad movies obviously yeah don't watch bad videos obviously but no one tells you about the news, what the effect that it's having on you. Because of the agenda and the type of news that there is right now, there is a very clear agenda. And so that also is something you have to be mindful of. Okay? So you might say, but then how will I be informed? Right? That's your next question, isn't it? Let me tell you just one little secret. This news isn't informing you. <laughs> it's brainwashing. It's not actually unbiased news. It is what we call, it has a um, an agenda, yeah? It's, 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 it's it, when you study media, you find that there, it's agenda setting. There's there's a very clear, so it's not that you're actually getting more informed. You're just getting what they want, What the, what the intent of the media has for you to think a certain way. There's a certain message that you're supposed to be coming out with, and it's not about actual news. Okay, you're not getting the actual picture, okay? So don't think that the more that you're watching or reading of this news, the more you're being informed. You're not getting the actual picture, you're just getting the picture they want you to have. The agenda, which is very clearly, um, they're out to get us. Muslims are out to get us. Islam is, is, um, it hates America and all that kind of stuff. Um, It's not only Trump saying this stuff. It's not just Trump saying this stuff. This is being said at d- different levels in different ways throughout the media, okay? Um, and it is not only in the U.S. Yeah, it's not only in the U.S. One thing that you're going to find, and this is, I mean, again and again you see this bias, that um, if someone commits a crime, you all know this, yeah? If someone commits a crime, you first look at um, what their religion is, okay? Um, if they're Muslim, then they're a terrorist, Okay? and if they're muslim then their religion had everything to do with what they did okay and their religion will actually be emphasized like you'll see it in the headline all right you'll see muslim whatever whatever or you'll you'll see it in the in the first paragraph in, in news basically you put the most important information at the beginning of an article okay you'll see their their religion put at the top when they're muslim but when they're not muslim when they're just a white male for example you never even hear about their religion. You don't, even know what the, you don't even know what the religion is. Yeah, and now all of a sudden, it's all mental health issues. You get it? You get it? So if you're Muslim, it's not that you're crazy. It's that you're Muslim. You get it? It's just that Islam is crazy. It's not you that are crazy. You get it? You get it? So that the message here is that if you commit a crime and you're Muslim, it's your religion that's crazy, not you. It's just that you follow a crazy religion. And that's the message. Because it was a a devout follower. And then they'll start talking about their practice and how they went to the masjid or this and that as if it's relevant. As if it's relevant. But if it's a non-Muslim, right, then all of a sudden, you never hear about how often they went to church. Do you hear that in an article? Dude, white dude does something, you you hear about his church, like how often he went to church. It's irrelevant when it's a non-Muslim. Yeah? And what you do hear about, they were mentally unstable. Right? all of a sudden we look at their mental stability. We don't look at their religion. But a Muslim apparently can never be mentally unstable. Right, it's like, it's like a Muslim is just following a, a crazy religion, but they can't be crazy. It's there, and it's everyone, I and mean, there's, there's tons of data, there's tons of data. So if you believe that you're getting this unbiased, you know, very accurate kind of news, you're not. You're not, you're getting a specific type of message, and the more you ingest of that Kool Aid, the more it's going to affect your mind and the way you see things. And now, all of a sudden, you will feel more and more like you want to hide your religion. It'll be my, that those times when you were stuck on the news. Did you feel really um, bold? Did you feel? Did you feel secure stepping outside, or did you feel afraid? Did you feel like you know what? Let me just think about should I be even wearing my hijab? Or should I try to maybe hide it somehow? You get it. So what it does is it 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 puts fear into you. It grows your fear, and it also makes you want to feel. It makes you uh, feel ashamed. Almost like we need to apologize, as if you did something wrong. It's to make you feel like you did something wrong when you didn't do anything. You understand? Isn't that how you felt? Isn't that how we feel? So one thing to keep in mind is that make sure that your that your input is healthy, yes, at some level you, you need to have an idea of what's going on. But please manage and be mindful of how much and what kind of toxic toxicity you're taking in, and a big part of that is from the news media. Alright? Does everyone follow that point? Okay. Um, balance. Balance is key. Make sure that what you're taking in is more healthy than it is, like more more positive than it is negative. Remember what I said at the beginning, what you focus on grows. If you're focusing on bad news all the time, you start to think the world is all dark. You start to think that everyone's against us. Yeah? They're all, you know what? Everyone hates us. Do you ever start to feel like that? Depends on how much you're focusing on these issues. If that's all you're seeing on your newsfeed, and it takes me back to your newsfeed, there's this thing on Facebook called unfollow use it no one has to know I won't tell unfollow is something that means it doesn't mean that you're unfriending no one's gonna get a notification guess what so and so just unfollowed you it it's something we need to use on our newsfeed because I'll tell you why every time you know we're using our Facebook a lot let's be honest we're going on our newsfeed a lot. And so, think of your newsfeed as your diet, as the food you're eating. If it's not healthy or it's all negative, even a person who's constantly posting negative news, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that on my, on my newsfeed. Why? Because eventually, what I focus on grows. If I'm always looking at negativity, I'm going to think the whole world's negative. It's going to grow in my eyes. Is anybody making sense? Does my, that make sense? So try to make your feeds healthy. Healthy. Meaning, positive. Stuff that's going to uplift you. Stuff that's going to inspire you. Stuff that's going to empower you. Stuff that's going to remind you of Allah. You know what I'm saying? That the more that you have that, and, and this is something that you you can do through being mindful of what it is that you're taking. All right? I've, over the years, have like, put in a lot of work into like making a healthy newsfeed. you know what I'm saying um you don't have to keep following everyone who just posts about their burger or whatever it is that they're same with snapchat now you know you can manage who you follow you know (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to say you guys get it yeah um Again, it's not just about haram and halal. It's halal supposed to about what you're eating every single day. But guess what? It's not the most useful information. Alright? Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. The point here is just use these tools for your own good. Use these tools to get you closer to Allah. That's all I'm saying. So, so manage them in this way, and the more that you take in healthy things and block unhealthy things, the more healthy you're going to be. Okay? And I'm going to end on this, and this is probably the most important point that, that I'm going to make. And that is um, the remembrance of Allah. The dhikr. The most healthiest kind of food, the most healthiest kind of input is the remembrance of Allah. What do I mean by that? The remembrance of Allah means anything um, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like the Quran, yeah? Anything that reminds you of Allah, whether it's the words of the Prophet or or um, reminder from a, a da'i, or anything that reminds you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most healthiest kind of input, right? Okay? I'm gonna leave you guys with something that I tried to mention in all of my talks recently, and that is a three part prescription. Uh, for a healthy, spiritual, and, and, and psychological self. Three parts. All right? And this goes under taking in, taking in that healthy input. I talked about keeping out the unhealthy and the, the healthy input. Number one is Salah. I want to remind you of your Salah because it's one of these things that we sometimes don't really realize the importance of, and that's Equivalent, the equivalent of saying, um, "It's not really that important to take in oxygen." Let me talk about something else. If I'm up here, say I'm a doctor and I'm trying to give you guys a prescription of how to be healthy, maybe you guys want to train for a marathon. If I don't first make sure you're getting oxygen, it's not gonna, nothing else I say is going to matter, right? If you're not breathing. If your your blood is not oxygenated, and I sit and talk about organic food, it doesn't make sense, yeah? Is anybody following? Everybody's, yeah? I know it's hot. So the first thing we have to make sure is that we're getting oxygen. Salah is oxygen. Salah is oxygen for the heart and the soul. And when a person disconnects from the Salah, when a person abandons the Salah or neglects the Salah, either by not praying on time or just not praying at all, or missing some prayers. It's like a person who is neglecting their oxygen. Maybe breathing once in a while, right? Do you guys get it? You can't say, I don't need to breathe today because I have an exam. Let me breathe tomorrow. Or maybe I'm not in a very good mood. I'm feeling a little down today. Let me breathe next week. Or let me become really, really another interesting trick of shaitan is, but you're not even focusing in your salah anyways. You're so distracted. So you might as well just not pray. Your salah is just movements anyway. Why don't you become more spiritual first? Why don't you become closer to Allah first and then you can pray? Do you know what that's like saying? That's like saying, why don't you become healthy first and then you can breathe? That's exactly the same thing. Y'all aren't gonna become healthy if you're not breathing. You get it? And to neglect oxygen until you're healthy is a trick to kill you. You Get it? So this is what these are the games that Shaitan plays. Okay? So the salah has to be a non-negotiable. It's oxygen. It's something that has to be on time. Prescription, when a when when a doctor gives you a prescription, doctor says you have to take it at certain times, you gotta take it at those times. You can't just say, well, Today I was busy, I took all five doses before I slept. That's, that's not what you do with medicine, is it? Anyone do that with medicine? Especially life-saving medicine? Cancer medication, for example. You're going to just skip a few doses or take them all before you sleep because you were you were busy, you were on Facebook, you were at the mall, who knows? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's crazy. But this is what we do with sleep. Oxygen, yeah? That's number one. Number two is I advise you, I advise you, I advise you, to please download an app for Al-Qad. There's an app called My Dua. M-Y-D-U-A-A. So double A. It's basically Fortress of a Muslim on an app. And what you do is, and by the way, most important dollar you bet you'll ever spend. Yeah? I'm serious. Um, what it is, is it's a collection of the, the supplications, the du'as that the Prophet ﷺ would say throughout his day. There's a du'a for everything. Everything, there's a dua. He left the house, he came back in the house, he started eating, he finished eating. Yeah. Even before intimacy, there's a dua. Always he was remembering Allah. Always remembering Allah. No matter what he was doing in life. The more that we can incorporate these duas into our life, the more healthy we will be. I'm talking to you just simply about health. Psychological and emotional and spiritual health. Alright? And so what you do is, when you download this app, Make sure that there are du'as that you're saying every single day, just like food and water. Okay? I'm going to tell you that among the most important, because there's a lot, and mashallah, the more you can do, the better, the more healthy you'll be. But there's a lot. But what I will tell you, the most essential ones you need to do is your morning supplications There's um, and your evening supplications. You just click on morning, evening, and you do this after fajr prayer. And then evening supplications, you'll do after asr prayer. Everyone Follow? Among the morning evening of God, there's a lot. There might be like 50 or so. So what you can do on this app is you can star certain ones that will be your collection, your, your list among those, so that you can be consistent. Because I don't want anyone thinking, I can't do all 50, so I'll do none. Again, that's another shaitani tactic. All or none, right? If you can't be perfect, just don't do anything at all, right? Right? You might as well take off your hijab because you're so bad, Right? You know this type of thinking? This is shaitani thinking. Allah is not all or none. Allah is not all or none. Allah takes any goodness we do and multiplies it. He doesn't say, well, you weren't perfect, so I'm not going to take anything. That's not Allah. That's a trick of shaitan. So do what you can. Do what you can and try to do consistently. Just like you need food and water consistently. Even if it's a small amount. You store in just a few, but just do it consistently. And then next time when you click on morning, evening of God, it'll bring up your list that you've started. Okay. Evening, same thing, yeah? After us. And then before you sleep. These are the times when people are most susceptible to the, uh, to Shaytan and his army. Sleep, morning, sunrise, sunset. Before you eat, yeah? When you enter the bathroom. And uh, and before intimacy. These are the times when it's especially important to say your are the afkar of these different sort of openings. Um, the way I like to describe it is like if you're in a house, no one leaves the windows and doors open, and then wonders why the robber came in and stole everything. Yeah, and that's because we close our doors, we close our windows to protect our homes. Yeah, and these are the doors and the windows to the enemy. Shaitan is our. You know what? Forget all the enemies we think we see in the in the physical sense. Shaitan, Allah tells us again and again, is our open enemy. And so this is how we close the doors. This is the best protection. Um, I'm not sure how popular it is here, but there's a lot of cultures that think that you're protected by wearing a certain type of necklace, or by hanging something in your house, or putting something in your car. That's not what protects you. It's this, what I'm telling you right now. You want to be protected? You want your family to be protected? This is what you do. You you remember Allah. You say the God You don't just hang the God
1: You don't just hang
0: it. You don't just hang it on your neck. You understand? It, the protection of Allah comes through saying these God This is the sunnah. This is actually what the Prophet did. And guess what? You cannot improve on the sunnah. You cannot. I can't come and say, but I actually think this is better. Because I'm just, I'm better than the Prophet. So I said, "A'udhu I can't improve on the sunnah. The sunnah of the Prophet said, is this. This is what he did. And guess what? He knew better than all of us. Okay? This is how you protect. And number three is the Qur'an. Number three is the Qur'an. Make sure that it's a consistent relationship. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy on all of us. Not only in Ramadan. Yeah? You can't say, I'm only gonna breathe in Ramadan. You gotta breathe the whole year, alright? Alright, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make um, it easy for all of us to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make that tawbah. Anqul iqawli hadha wa astaghfirullahi wa lakum inna wadhun al-raheem subhanakallahu bihamdak ashhadu an la ilaha in the end wa atubu We are going to have q now. Yes. So, um, for those of you who had note cards, if you just want to, if you prefer to come up to the mic and ask the question, you're more than welcome to do so. Or if you have a note card, and you'd like me to pick it up, to send it. Does anyone have a question from the floor who wants to just ask their question? Yes. Oh, you have a note card. Okay. Okay. Yes, sister. While we're getting the note cards, go ahead. Why, I'm going to repeat her question. It's very important. She's saying in this discussion of managing our intake, and I mentioned news, yeah? Does, she's saying, does that apply to all negative news, for example, things that are happening, of injustice, Black Lives Matter, stuff like that, which actually should push us to act? And she made a very, very good point, point. and that's the key, okay? What I'm trying to get across isn't that we put our heads in the sand and we pretend that nothing bad is happening. no. What I am saying is that we are conscious of what we're taking in and conscious of how it's affecting us. So, for example, um, if we're finding out about some injustice that's happening, it's intended to motivate us to act, and that's excellent. And that's what that's what that's what we need to do. We need to take action against injustice. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when our intake isn't motivating us to act; it's motivating us to fall into despair and to become depressed and to become hopeless. You get what I mean? And that's what a lot of the media about Muslims does. Now that you get what I mean? Um, for example, uh, you know something happens somewhere in the world. Yeah, there's a there's a, a crime that happens. And of course, if it's a Muslim, it's called terrorism. If it's a white man, it's just a crime, right? Um, suppose something bad happens somewhere in the world. Okay, you found out about it. You, you know it happened. Look for ways that you can help. Look for ways you can aid the victims. Look for ways you can donate. But don't just sit there and watch every news station talk about how bad Muslims are. That's not useful. You got know what I mean? So what I mean is that we have to be mindful of whether we're taking in healthy input or it's just meant to beat us down. Do you, does that make sense? Yes, we should be a people of action. Don't ever get me wrong. And it isn't about sugarcoating the world and just pretending it's all um, rainbows and butterflies. It isn't. But it's about in, in, it's about empowering ourselves, not debilitating ourselves. Because what's happened is majority of people aren't taking action, they're just getting depressed. The majority of people aren't taking action from these things. They're just feeling ashamed, and they're just wanting to hide. What we need to be is a people of action, a people of hope, and a people of empowerment. And so if, yes, I absolutely want, I'm glad you clarified that, uh, because what we need to do is, yes, we take, we see injustice, we want to take action. But we shouldn't just keep ingesting stuff that isn't motivating us to take action. It's only beating us down. Does that make sense? I hope that clarifies. Any other questions? Oh, we have lots here. But any follow-up about that question? Yes. sort of not really a question, but it uh, kind ahead. of the same thing. Um, especially uh, being in Jordan for the past year, to like my surgeon over a lot of my texts. a lot of the news portrayed- Can you put it closer? Uh, so? Okay, great. A lot of the news there, too, portrayed that- um, Hello? No. <laughs> you just have to put it a lot of the news there portrayed that Westerners here, especially white people, paid it out. Yes. Yes. And it was so scary coming back, and I would always ask them, "Is everything okay there?" Um,
1: it made me so paranoid. Where even when I was going through customs in the airport, I was like so scared, I, shaking. Yeah. Like shaking, shaking, and I almost had a meltdown because i was so scared. Like, well, "What are they gonna do?" Or it, it was like horrible. And that's so because of what you were seeing. It seeing, was selective yeah. media.
0: My in-laws watch a lot, and he was there too, so it's like always on, and they repeat the same thing over and over that's, all day long. Yes, it's and actually I'm, like hypnosis. It, 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 this is the interesting thing. It's like um, a very good point, and that, and she's 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 talking about the other side of the point from the uh, the other side of the Atlantic, right? And I've seen this too um, with people who are who are watching us from over there, like either either from the UK, um, you know, Europe, or in, in the Middle East, etc., um, the, the, the type of news that they have about America will make them think that you just enter the airport and you're going to be put in jail, or like a concentration, or we're all being rounded up and put in concentration camps. This is the impression that's being given. Why? Because it's selective media. And, and so it's exactly the other way around as well. Um, but you know what that does? Is it's that whole idea that what you focus on grows. So there's this idea that all, everyone's out to get us. That the people people in America hate Muslims. You know, if you watch enough of that, that's what you're gonna that impression you're gonna get. Because they don't have things on the news about the people who are coming out and aiding Muslims. That's not on the news. Do you know what? You just just look at what happened when this Muslim ban went through. You know, the majority of the people camping out at airports were not Muslims. It was a Muslim ban, but the majority of the activists who were literally camping out at these airports were not Muslim. They were giving they were there were lawyers donating their time I mean, volunteering their time, activists, and the, most of them were even Muslim. Muslims were there too, but look at look at how they came out. So this idea that they're all against this is also a skewed image. Yeah. Were you gonna say something? It, it, she's very right. It puts a divide between people, and in some sense, that's the objective us versus them. We just can't allow, we can't feed into that. Yes? Yeah. Like, yeah, put it real close. And these yeah. mics
1: need to be like in your mouth. Sure. So I work as a psychiatrist, and I do wear my hijab every day. So uh, keeping myself away from the media, I could help my patients better, and they could come closer to me, and I go without that. So I get my news one day later when people say, and they're putting on WhatsApp group, this is going on. Yep. So yep. it takes me one day later. However, there is a good response that's going on uh, also, that people who wear hijab amazing friends we have here, I don't know how much they feel, that people come to protect them, look at the borderline, so we are, because of the hijab, people take a lot of responsibility when they wear the hijab, that we have to keep the honor of hijab, high. we sort of try to outperform, as most of the sisters of mine I have seen in treatment, they overdo it, because they don't want to be called dumb and wearing hijab, or something like that. What would you tell us about your experience of that? Is there any positive thing? Have you noticed, not in media, but person to person,
0: about that? Being visible, visibly Muslim. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll just give you one example. Um, When I was in graduate school, when I was in graduate school, uh, (laughs) I I think that it was weird. It's like I I was the only person in the lecture hall wearing hijab, right? And so uh, what it did, I feel like it empowered me. I'll tell you why. Because I was like. I'm already different, so I can just say whatever I want. (laughs) It was kind of like, I didn't feel these shackles of fitting in because I already didn't, so like, quote, unquote, fit in. So I kind of, it was a a strange sort of empowerment for me that I felt the freedom to ask and comment as I pleased. You know, not to say something inappropriate, obviously, but like if I had an opinion, I wasn't afraid to say it. And it was almost actually because of my hijab. Because I felt that I'm already seen as different, so now that was empowering, interestingly enough. And then I think it brought about respect. It was interesting because six months later, I was like at, I don't know, The Gap or something. That's not product placement. But I, I was at the, I was at, um, the mall somewhere, a um, and someone working there was like, oh, I remember you from class. You were the one always asking the insightful questions. She remembered me as the one asking the insightful questions. I was like, yes she remembers me from my hijab, right? And that I was asking or making insightful comments or whatever she said. And that was six months later. yeah. So it, it definitely, I think for me, um, throughout my upbringing, uh, I've been wearing hijab, alhamdulillah, since I was 14. That's a long time. And I won't tell you how long that's been. Um, is the mic just not working? Because I'm like almost eating it. <laughs> so, okay, it's better. Um, and, and so I've been wearing hijab for a long time, yeah? Um, and I, I, this is surprising to a lot of people, I never even went to an Islamic school, a full-time Islamic school. I always, I went to public school. And that's like, that, that's kind of strange to people, right? But the reality is I was always different. I didn't grow up with um, everyone around me Muslim. I actually grew up with very few people around me from the time I was young. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. We didn't even have a full-time Islamic school. We didn't even have one. Um, and so I went to public school since I was young and through college and, and graduate school. So I was very used to being uh, uh, sort of like standing out, and I, I, I embraced that. That was that was something that I felt, and I felt empowered. But, but if I was beat down every single day with shame someone telling me you should be ashamed you should be ashamed i would not have been able to be strong yeah and it was because i actually had a sense a strong sense of identity and pride in my in my deen and like i was proud to be muslim it's very important to 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 grow that strength and that and and to feel proud of our deen and of our ummah and of our people you know what i mean because that's what's going to enable us to to be strong and also to give back. That's the thing. We are part of the community, right? We aren't just in our in our messages and we just we just worry about ourselves. As the sister said we are we are at the forefront of causes like Black Lives Matter that we have to be involved. But if we are beat down and we feel um, that lack of empowerment we can't be involved we can't really contribute because we're just so worried about surviving. We're just worried about survival. So it's, that's why I think it's very, very important, and I applaud you for your being sober um, <laughs> um, from, from all that toxic type of um, input. And yes, as she said, you're going to hear about it. Guess what? It's going to be all over your news feed. It's going to be on your what's. You're going to hear about it. But just be mindful of that that's all you're taking in, because then it, it can really beat you down. All right, I'm going to start looking at these. Yeah? There's a lot. Okay, good question, how to communicate with our kids on how to deal with a semaphobic news or a semaphobia. please shelter them from it, please honestly, this is something as parents that we are not careful enough of they should not be watching it simple as that, I am very against children watching that garbage, because what benefit is it, all it's going to make them do is go to school, cowering. they're going to be going to school feeling, feeling beat down feeling ashamed feeling, um, you know, like, like they need to apologize, it's not making them stronger, it's making them more ashamed, and not. it's not empowering them, please shield them from that garbage, like shield them from that poison, instead empower them, empower them, um, teach them, you know, one of the things that made a big influence in my life is like these Islamic camps I went to, I told you I didn't go to a full-time Islamic school, right, but what I did do is I, whenever I could, i go to these Muslim camps, like Minna, I was a Minna kid, yeah, do you guys have Minna? Yeah. Minna is Muslim Youth of North America. Whatever youth, YM, you have YM, Young Muslims. You have, you know, Mass Hazard. There's a lot of different organizations that do youth work. Get involved in that and get your kids involved in that. Because that's what actually builds uh, strong identity. And that builds um, the strength. It doesn't cut you down. It builds, that's what they need. They don't need to be watching CNN and, and Fox. That's toxic. Toxic. So please shield them. From that, I mean, how do you think it's going to make them feel to watch on the TV? Everyone hates you, every and constantly. Every they're going to start to feel like everyone hates me. Everyone hates me. Maybe I should stop being called Mohammed and just be Mo, right? You know what i That's what's going to breed that desire to hide, and that's not what we need. We need to be more involved, and we need to be more um, empowered. Now, um, I think what the sister here is rightfully going to ask me. Is what about <laughs> what about things that we want them to know that are happening that they need to take action about? Yes, no. Well, I answered anyway. Um, and that is this: um, please be selective as parents. Your job as a parent is to do to try to protect your children from the harm and to try to empower your children to do what's right yeah, as parents. So let them know about the struggles of people. But I'm talking about this islamophobic, very like one-sided, very toxic type of news. um, Because the question is actually about islamophobic news. Please shield them from islamophobic news. But let them be conscious of the struggles of people who have less than them. And people who are struggling from, uh, you know, minority groups or wherever in the world they are struggling. They should be aware of that. And it also breeds gratitude. Yeah, because a lot of children growing up today are very sort of spoiled. yeah, And the fact that they have so much luxuries and so much ease, and maybe they're not aware of the struggles of those people um, around the world. There was this movie that came out called Lion. Do you guys know it? Um, and it, it's, it's, about, it's a true story Yeah, about this kid who um, gets lost because he gets on a train. He's only like eight or seven. He's just like a little kid. And he gets on a train, and he ends up completely on his own in India, and it's just about his story. And I just, honestly, it broke my heart watching the the, the, the way in which these children were living on the streets of India, and that this is real. This isn't a movie. This is real. It's a real story. And I was just thinking how our kids need to see this type of thing, because they don't, you know, they complain so much. They don't like... Um, I don't know. They don't. They don't like the crust on their sandwiches. You know, um, and, and they, they, they won't eat, eat the whole sandwich because they don't like the crust. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like sometimes it's important not to. Hello. Uh-oh. Hello. Hello. Okay. Anyway. Um. Try the other one. Okay. Um. It's important not to over. <laughs> Hello. Okay. It's important not to shelter them from that, from them realizing how privileged they are and that there are people who are very legitimate, real struggles. Um, but what I'm saying to shield them from is the beat down against the Islam and Muslims. Is that clear? Yes? Alright. You have a follow-up question? Yeah. How do you bring them back from Islamophobia of Okay, great question. How do you bring them back if they have experienced Islamophobia or an experience maybe at school or bullying and that kind of thing? I believe that it's very important to take an active role in that. Um, as parents, do not be passive about anything that involves bullying of your children. You're not being a, a better parent by telling them, "Oh, it's okay. Just you know, just be quiet, um, be passive, turn the other cheek." Heck, no! Like no, you actually have to take a very strong stance. Um, take it to the, to the administration. If they don't care, take it to the school board, but make a fuss. It affects how they psychologically, care. yes. So they uh, okay, care. so psychologically, there's one aspect of psychologically, yeah? um, helping them cope from that. And I believe that, um, that one of the things to help heal is what I spoke about, and that's having them surrounded with more positivity, more empowering experiences, have them going to these camps, having them around uh, uh, environments where they're accepted and, and celebrated, as opposed to always being around environments where they're critiqued, they're re- criticized. That can be very um, demoralizing. If everything I'm watching is is, is, is um, criticizing me, everywhere I go I'm being criticized. But you need environments where they're actually being empowered. That will help um, with that as well. But to see that you're taking a stand against it is also empowering. To see that it's not okay. To see that the principal is taking a stand. To see that the teachers are taking a stand. That that is also going to be empowering to that child who experienced that. To not feel helpless. To not feel like, because there's something called learned helplessness in psychology. And if a person is constantly being abused and they can't do anything about it, and there's no consequence, they start to fall into into learned helplessness. And they'll feel for the rest, you know, they'll start to feel like, well, there's nothing I can do, and it becomes like a victim mentality, and that's not good. You want them to feel that there are consequences, and it's not okay for people to treat them that way. So that's why I'm saying it's very important to take a stand against that, as a parent, and take it to the the, the administration. Uh, Due to the news issues you mentioned, many parents try to talk their children out of wearing hijab, dressing Islamically, because of... How, uh, they, they worry for their daughters will be targeted or something, what do you think about this? This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is because they're ingesting too much news. Um, this is a result of what the parents are watching. See, but what I said is that what you focus on grows. And if, if you're watching only, uh, there's this incident, hate crime, then there's this hate crime, then there's this hate crime, guess what? You're going to think hate crimes are having, happening every five minutes. You're going to actually inflate in your own mind the amount um, or, the, or the, the level of the risk. And that's because that's all you're being fed. Does that make sense? It does become, I understand that hate crimes are happening. I'm not denying that. But what happens is that it becomes disproportionate in your mind. It looks bigger and scarier than it actually is. It starts to, to seem as if it's happening all the time, as opposed to it happening some of the time. And because you start to fear that it's happening all the time, now you don't want your children to wear hijab. And now you become so afraid that you don't want your kids to be um, to be openly or, or, or outwardly Muslim. So that's, again, that's a result of that, of that issue. If you, if you um, manage what you take in, as the sister said, who was a psychiatrist, um, she, 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 she stopped all that obsession with news, and now she feels more empowered to be able to help her clients and not go into work feeling like this. You know, feeling like she wants to take off her hijab or that everyone's looking at her and everyone hates her. That happens when you're feeding that fear. Um, Okay, how do I purify my heart and let things go? Yes, I do pray. How can I ignore some people? Well. (laughs) Um, And then someone also says, any advice for how to be more forgiving and not hold grudges so you can refocus on what's important? Beautiful question. Um, okay, one of the best and easiest ways to forgive and to um, not hold grudges and to let things go is the understanding that um, there's a hadith in which the Prophet Wasallam says عَجَبٌ لِأَمْرِ mu'min Amruhu That the matter of a believer is strange, everything's good for him or her. Okay, so what does that have to do with anything? It means that for a believer, anything that has happened to you was ultimately good for you. But wait, what about this? What about that? Allah and His Messenger teach us this really powerful <laughs> phenomenon. This, this 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 is the power of Iman, really. And that's that no one can actually harm you because anything that happens to a believer is good for them. Now, I'm going to have people saying, does that mean we put up with abuse? no one can harm me. No. <laughs> um, here's what it means it means that if somebody is wronging me or someone wronged me or harmed me or did something bad to me, I do two things at the same time. First, I take every action to ensure to the most of my ability that it doesn't happen again. That it does not repeat itself. We are not a religion of turning the other cheek. We don't allow people to abuse us. We're not passive. That's not what Islam teaches. Islam doesn't teach that patience means you hit me here, so here, let me turn my cheek so you can hit me here. Yeah, that's not what sabr means. Yeah, sabr, and I, I've, I think I've said this a million times, but until until I can scream it from the top of a mountain, I'm gonna keep saying it. Sabr doesn't mean that you passively allow yourself to be mistreated. That's not sabr. Sabr, the concept of sabr. Includes perseverance, and in fact, to take action, you need sabr. Sabr is also an active term, it's not just doing nothing, it's not just closing your mouth. Have sabr, sister. Yeah, have sabr. No, have sabr, sister, and get out. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's half that's the proper usage of the word. Yeah, in that sense, in that context. Yes, when a calamity strikes me, a calamity strikes me, I need to have sabr. That's when I have to have sabr. That's when I have to accept the will of Allah. A calamity that is not in my control, that there's nothing I can do about it, I have to accept. That is sabr. But when someone is mistreating me or there's some injustice happening and I just stand still and I take it, that's not the proper response. The Prophet said, if you see something wrong, you should try to change it. With your hand, if you cannot, then with your tongue. If you cannot, then hate it in your heart. That's the weakest of Iman. So he's telling us to take action against injustice or something wrong. Somebody is harming me or something harming my children or harming my neighbor or harming you know overseas. I need to take action. That's part of my Iman. That's what the Prophet's teaching us, salallahu alayhi wa sallam. But when there's a calamity that I cannot change, that's when I have to accept. Right. So sometimes we misunderstand this sabr thing and we use it to keep, um, namely women, quiet, have sister sister. That's that's not right. That's not right. We're not a religion that allows injustice or oppression or abuse. Okay, so one. So on the one hand, I do what I can, everything I can to make sure you don't do it again, that you don't consistently keep doing this to me. This isn't this isn't what what Islam tells us. And then at the same time, I I find. I, I, I do everything in my power to forgive what has happened in the past while at the same time making sure it doesn't happen again. Do you understand? The two go together. Forgiveness, yes, is in Islam. But forgiveness does not mean you hit me on this cheek, let me turn so you can hit me on that cheek. That's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I'm going to make sure you never do it again, but I'm going I'm to forgive you for doing it in the past. And I'm going to keep it in the past. It isn't going to happen again. you understand? Do you guys understand that? Um, how do you forgive? So when I say that, um, uh, that all the matters of a believer are good for them, what I mean is that this thing that happened in the past, the thing that you're not allowing to happen in the future, yeah, that this thing that happened in the past was in fact, will, can become good for you if you respond properly. A believer has this superpower. That anything that brings us closer to Allah is ultimately good for us. And anything that took us away is bad for us. Okay, So just be conscious that this person that you keep giving all this power to, they hurt me, they took from me, they did this. You need to take that power back. Because they didn't actually have the power to hurt you. As long as you responded properly, which means taking action against the injustice, making sure it doesn't happen again to the best of your ability, and forgiving and trying to come closer to Allah, then they didn't hurt you. It may have seemed they hurt you. Externally, it may have seemed, but in reality, the like, like ultimately, the real reality, they brought you closer to Allah. They didn't hurt you. You get it? Does that make sense? Even if they did X, Y, Z to you, as a believer, you can even take that and make it good for you by bringing you closer to Allah. By allowing you to get the mercy of Allah. Can I tell you how? The, Allah tells us in Surah an nur when Abu Bakr found out that his daughter was being accused by a relative, or a relative was spreading the rumor against Aisha. The rumor, right? About her being unchaste, Like the worst thing you could do. He found it was a relative doing this. And it was a relative he was financially supporting. So what he does is is he just withholds the financial support. He doesn't go out, get a hitman. He doesn't go try to get revenge. All he does is withhold, stop the financial support. Allah reveals an ayah at this incident, at this time. And and in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Let them pardon and overlook. Let them pardon and overlook. And then Allah says something very, very interesting at the end of this ayah yaghfir Do you not love for Allah to forgive you? So all of a sudden here, Allah's made a transaction with a person. What's that transaction? You forgive this person, and I'll forgive you. You get it? Allah is offering His forgiveness. Can you put a, a, a price tag on that? Can you put a price tag on the forgiveness of Allah, or the mercy of Allah, This is like what we call priceless, meaning it is there's no amount of everything in the heavens and the earth that can buy the mercy and forgiveness of Allah. It's priceless. And Allah is offering it to those who have been wronged and forgive. Get it? So now you need to be sending these these folks thank you letters. (laughs) Um, How much time do we have? Anyone? Sorry, I couldn't hear. Four minutes, four minutes. Four minute, not five, not four. <laughs> All right. Um, ooh, deep questions. Okay, good. Um, I feel like the more I grow in Iman, the more judgmental I get. Thank you for your honesty. Um, I also take on more and more religious rituals, more dua, more prayers, and overburden myself and crash because I can't keep up. With my own expectations. Allahu Akbar. Such a deep question. Thank you for your honesty. Um, there's a chapter in my book, and it's called, it, it's, it's, uh, it's about this exact, um, it's called This is Awakening. There's a chapter called This is Awakening. And in that chapter, I talk about this phenomenon. What happens is this when a person um, starts off and they start to become more practicing, this is a great thing, yeah? Either the person maybe wasn't practicing and then sort of switched on, alhamdulillah, or they weren't Muslim and they reverted slash converted, right, they came to Islam. Um, When a person begins this, a lot of times they are at what you call a spiritual high. And that means that they're really, they have a lot of sort of, they're very zealous, alhamdulillah. It's almost like spiritual steroids they're on. This is awesome, but it's temporary. It's by definition, temporary. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when they're in that high, they start to create certain expectations and there are some pitfalls of that high. I'll just tell you right now, shaitan will come to us in different ways depending on our state. Those who are in a high, he'll come from one door. Those who are in a low, he'll come from another door. Meaning, when I'm like on top of my Islamic game, right? When I feel like I'm really good, I'm practicing, I'm praying, I got my my I got my Quran on, I got my hijab on, I'm I'm it, I'm just on it, yeah. I'm like awesome, yeah, awesome. Here's the problem, yeah, is that when I am like up there, in a sense of a high, spiritual high, iman high, whatever you want to call it, shaitan comes through. I'll tell you which door. He comes through the door of arrogance. So here, all of a sudden, this is the judgmental part that this person is pointing out. Shaitan will come when we're up and say, look how awesome you are. (laughs) Look at you. They should make a shrine for you. yeah? You pray. You wear hijab. You are the king of the world. Look at you. Now look at those little people. They're not like you get it so it becomes this arrogance put in us where we see ourselves as really great because of our deeds but we forget that our deeds are a gift from allah that's very important our deeds themselves are a gift and trust me that gift comes and goes and it can be taken like that if we're not grateful